Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Crowdsourcing Sustainability Podcast. I've got something a little bit different for you today. In this episode, instead of asking the questions, I'm the one answering them because I was a part of TED's Countdown Initiative to help accelerate climate solutions recently. I was lucky enough to be invited on by the lovely team over at TEDx Archivorum, and I had a great time chatting with Julian Kitts in this interview. The interview is wide-ranging, but is generally about the climate crisis, what we can do about it, and a bit about my story and work with crowdsourcing sustainability. You can see many of the topics in the description below and when we talk about each one. You can also check this out on YouTube if you'd rather watch the interview. So, without further ado, here is my TEDx Archivorum interview, and I hope you enjoy. Anyway, welcome back. I'm super, super excited to be introducing and interviewing our next guest, who can kind of serve as a bastion for what it means to be an individual in a global uh, problem. How can you mitigate such a massive threat all by yourself? So our next guest defines himself as a huge sustainability nerd, um, and he made it his mission to help reverse global warming ASAP sort of eight years ago. Also, he majored in economics at the Villanova School of Business, uh, minored in sustainability. He worked in clean technology for three years before founding Crowdsourcing Sustainability in February of 2018. The purpose for this was to educate, connect, uh, sort of inform and unleash the power, in quotes, of uh, people around the world, again, to reverse this aspect of global warming. It's a startup nonprofit with over 100,000 people connected uh, from over 100 different countries. And these people all read our next guest's sustainability newsletters. Uh, He writes to inform minds, to touch hearts, in his own words, and to inspire action, which is, of course, the most important thing. Uh, It's made up of of a team of five interns, uh, plus himself. And he does this work because he believes that global warming and ultimately climate change should be humanity's number one priority. And of course, everyone at Ted Archivorum could not agree more. So please join me in welcoming Ryan Hagen. And please, um, I'll be obviously interviewing to get things started, but I do hope you guys can ask lots of really interesting questions to uh, get the dialogue going. So welcome, Ryan. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for the intro. Um, really happy to be here and uh, just grateful for everyone tuned in and who cares about this and wants to, you know, level up and address this issue together. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, let's start then with, as you put it on uh, this in your bio eight years ago, but feel free to correct. But what happened? What did you witness? What was the moment when you said, all right, enough is enough. Something needs to change. And when did you make the decision to be an individual against such a colossal problem? Yeah, so there's a few moments that stick out for me. Uh, it kind of started when I was 20. Uh, I was in the middle of a summer internship. This is one of the first ones. And I just decided that if I was going to have to work 40 hours a week, I better find something I actually care about, something that is meaningful to me. Otherwise, like, what am I, what am I doing with my life kind of thing? Um, the second moment that really sticks out was actually discovering climate change for the first time. Uh, this is kind of shocking, but this wasn't really an issue on my radar 
until I was about 20 or 21. Um, and I watched An Inconvenient Truth. And I remember this. I was studying abroad in Copenhagen. And after watching this, I was just like, why isn't everyone talking about this? Why aren't we doing anything about it? And just went down this rabbit hole of, of research and was like, okay, this is, this is legit. It's very wide ranging. We got we to gotta do something about that. Um, and then the third, third moment is, it's kind of silly, but I was just online uh, and stumbled across this poll, like what are the most important political issues to you, like rank them. And I was in this, you know, time of like trying to figure out my life, what am I going to do with my career? And I just took this very seriously, this silly little poll. Um, and what I came to, to realize and how I started to see it is that, you know, you got the economy, you got healthcare, you got immigration, national security, you got all these really important issues that we have to figure out. But the biggest one to me was obviously climate and the environment. And it's just kind of this logic of if we don't get climate right, everything else is going to be wrong. And so it's this, this view of like everything else is taking place in the context of our climate. And uh, there's, this, there's this great quote from Alex Steffen. And he said, it's not just another issue. It's an era. So I kind of look at everything else through this lens. And, you know, shortly after that, I, I made this promise to myself uh, that I'd make a career out of reversing global warming as soon as possible uh, because I saw it as the best way to save and improve as many lives as possible. And, you know, since then, I've just been a huge sustainability nerd, uh, like you said, and just learning everything I can about the climate crisis and what to do about it and trying to start sharing this with other people and trying to form these connections and a collaboration so we can work together more effectively uh, on these solutions. Great, thanks so much, it's so inspiring. Can I ask then, how did crowdsourcing sustainability, uh, I believe it was 2018, how did that come about? Yeah, so it started because I had just left my job working in clean technology. And I'd been there for like two and a half years or so, but I was ready for a change, wanted to travel, and right before I left for my trip, I had this, I have a really close friend uh, who asked me if I would write a blog for him, a blog post, an article on sustainability. And I was super excited because I just had so many different things I wanted to say. I'd never even considered like writing before. And um, this idea evolved over the course of the trip from, you know, just this one article to like, maybe I should start my own blog on this subject to to thinking like okay what like I'm only one person what can I do I think the best thing I can do is you know get as many other people together to work on this issue as possible and yeah so I just I just kind of gave it a go I felt that in the worst case scenario only some friends and family would read it and maybe that would change some minds and then I'd move on to the next thing um, but I've, I've stuck with it. I've, I felt that I, you know, especially back in 2017, when I was thinking about this, I was like, no one's talking about this the way that I think it could be talked about. Like it could resonate so much more deeply, especially in the media, the way we're discussing this issue. Um, 
and yeah, and so I just, I just started writing really. And, you know, after the first six months or so, I had 500 people reading it, which was well short of my like 5,000 person goal. Um, but I just kept going. And then a year later, there were 10,000 people reading. And then less than a year from that, up over 100,000 people now. Um, so yeah, and it's, it's really just, it's all about, you know, informing minds, touching hearts, inspiring action, and talking about this in a way that's more personal and inspirational and useful. Like, what can you actually do about this? How can you talk about it and understand it in a way that uh, resonates and makes sense to you on a personal level? And yeah, I, I think of this as like a blend of independent journalism, evidence-based, and a sort of activism, because I'm also an activist on the side. So I bring both of those perspectives in and really write with my humanity, because I, I think it's powerful to bring that in and, and share those emotions uh, when appropriate. Um, but yeah, and so I can elaborate just a bit more on kind of the, the messages or the topics that I tend to write about. I'm really all over the place and just follow my nose on what I think is the most important stuff for people to know. Um, so the main themes are really like the urgency, understanding the climate crisis is here now and what's going on with the effects of global warming around the world, uh, you know, both global and personal, uh, trying to show evidence that people are far more powerful than they believe and like what you do really does matter. Uh, sharing the most effective actions you can take and sharing those insights from different leaders and what they're saying. Uh, trying to, to kind of push back on the narrative that society has had for decades um, and starting to try to, to show what I think is the more accurate narrative. And that is that people and the planet matter more than profits, not the other way around. And that we are a part of nature not apart from nature. And I think those two um, messages have been kind of ingrained in our culture, at least here in the US. And I think so much stems from that belief system that's starting to poke holes in it uh, will we'll do some good. Um, and then just the last, the last few here are trying to make sure people don't feel guilt or shame like we've inherited this very broken system. It's not our fault. Uh, it's actually largely still broken because there's very powerful forces keeping it that way, like a very small number of people um, who want to keep making tons of money. Uh, and then more just on the messaging and framing of all this and where we are, but we have the solutions. We already have them. There's this awesome organization called Project Drawdown, if anyone hasn't heard of them, definitely check them out. They're amazing. Uh, they have the, like the top hundred solutions to reverse global warming with like tons of research, the cost, um, savings and all that. But we have the solutions they are going to make us safer, healthier, and they're going to make the world more just. So these are really like, this is a win, win, win thing. Uh, this is also about justice. Like this is a, a big moral issue, which I don't, think it's talked about enough um oddly enough and then you know just sharing stories of what other people are doing and how they're making an impact because that's what gives me hope uh 
like how many other people are working on this. And the, the one thing that makes me hopeful is how quickly this movement is growing and how many more people are starting to come in because we need as many people as possible. And so I'll wrap up here, but basically up till now or up until earlier this year, it had been me trying to do step one of this plan, which was build up this community uh, of people who can be empowered to start taking action in the places where they live and work. And more recently, I've been trying to do the second part of the plan, uh, which is much trickier, but it's been like kind of the point of it all along, which is to enable this effective collaboration so people can start sharing resources, ideas, your skills. Like we all have unique things that we can bring to the table and we need everyone's right now to to make the changes that we need um, and so we started to connect in slack um, and people are starting to share with each other and connect still trying to crack that nut of how do we scale this up and collaborate effectively but like i'm very very excited to see like ted doing the countdown project uh, like lots of parallels to what i'm trying to do and i'm just very excited that more people are starting to be like okay how do we work together on this how do we get this done who's done this well how can we learn from them and bring all these best practices and uh experiences together to to move forward faster together and so many just nuggets of can't stop nodding my head like i just completely <laughs> I, I guess i have discussing uh, how you build your platform. It's obviously a writing-based, you know, spreading information, as you were saying, it kind of originated as an idea of the blog. As a writer, then, what has been the biggest challenge in growing this, this platform and spreading the message? Yeah, so honestly, the biggest challenges I've faced are kind of keeping the faith. I mean... I've been doing this for two and a half years now, and especially the first year or so, you know, you, you write a newsletter, you put, I can't even tell you how many hours into making that happen between the research and the writing and the editing and touching it up and everything. Um, and then, you know, especially at the beginning, you put that out there and then the next week you're writing to like maybe five or 10 more people. <laughs> So it was very slow going in the beginning. And then I also, I don't know the full impact of what people do with this. I've heard tons of really cool stories of people using these newsletters in different ways, which is always very uplifting and encouraging for me to be like, okay, sweet. Like, you know, I, I write this thing and I send it out there and then I'll hear back from a handful of people, especially at the beginning. But it's those stories of like, hey, like this led me to do this or this started this conversation or there's really cool. one I got recently from this guy in Ecuador and he's like, I write climate cartoons and like comics. And I've been using this as an inspiration for writing these comic books. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'm so glad you told me that because that makes me feel like there's more of an impact here. But especially at the beginning, like keeping the faith that, this was going anywhere, that it was useful. That was really challenging. Um, it's also just been a bit challenging because to do this work, I moved back home. Like I've been living with my parents for more than two years now. Uh, and they're like, I'm incredibly grateful for them and they've been super supportive. 
But as anyone knows, like living with your parents in your 20s doesn't come without its challenges. And then lastly, I'd say this isn't so much about writing, but just working in climate is this is a very rewarding space to be in in many ways, but it's also incredibly hard. Like this is a tough issue to be thinking about all the time uh, and just grapple with and it definitely takes a toll on mental health. We're starting to see, especially among young people, like rising eco-anxiety and climate despair. So I personally am trying to take better care of myself. And I hope other people out there, just if you feel despair around this issue or just immobilized in any way, just know that what you're feeling is natural. Uh, and that... I have found that action is the antidote to despair and community. So as big as this problem seems, as overwhelming as it is, the way that I've found that makes me feel better is, you know, there's the obvious things like, you know, meditating, getting into nature, doing things that you love doing, but also just taking action on this issue. And especially if you do it with a community or with other people or an organization, uh, it really does it brings me out of a funk when I, when I feel that way. So just want to share that with folks. So incredible massive uh, action is the antidote. to despair. You can tell you're a writer. <laughs> I got, I got that from someone else to be clear. I don't know where, but I didn't come up with that. <laughs> That's a good one. I think uh, I just, cause I, a couple of questions are coming in and there's again, so many nuggets of information, but one I think really parallel what you were saying about uh, especially young people, you know, such as myself, and this idea of you know, a lot of people going, oh my God, this is a really, really serious problem, especially in my generation. And we're all freaking out and we don't know what to do. We put this question here basically saying, your thoughts on Gen Z? Can we, you know, can they change the world? Do you think we're more aware? And do you think that we will ultimately be the ones to you know, be game changers? I love Gen Z. Uh, I'm a millennial. I think basically the younger someone is, the more likely they are to like get it. <laughs> um, so I have tons of faith in younger people. And I think the movements that have sprung up in the last two years have moved the needle further than it's been moved in a very long time. And we need to keep that pressure up and keep building our power and working together to really get the systemic changes that we need. I would also say that we can't do this alone. Um, we need the older generations to come with us and start to work with us because to be frank, we are not the ones in the positions of power right now. Like we're not the leaders of countries, we're not the CEOs. We need to somehow get them to start moving the same direction that we're going at the pace that we're going. Uh, so I would say it's, yes, I have lots of faith. I think, yes, we are going to make these changes for the better. We also have to find ways to work with those older generations because they have a lot of the power right now. I think that's a really mature way of putting it. Obviously, you can't, you can't move those structures or change those structures if you don't think it's the people controlling those structures. I think that's, that's such a really intelligent point to make. Um, I guess a lot of what you've been saying is 
just your position again it's like the few against the many it's like really trying to move a mountain and when you you know done the research that you have and, and you understand the problem so clearly it must really infuriate you when people just don't get it and we have a question that's just come in basically on that point. so many people just can't accept climate change and this person is asking do you think that the US and I guess you know, the rest of the world but specifically asking about the US do you think you know, they're ready to make a change on the environmental level? Is it a different situation to other countries? And I guess why are people just not getting it? Yeah, so I think first, first thing real quick, and then I'll get more to your question, but when you started to say this, it made me think of it. Um, I don't spend any time really on climate deniers or doubters anymore. Uh, I don't think they're worth it. We have enough people who are alarmed or worried um, to actually make the changes we need. You need a very small amount of people to make change. And so we should focus on the ones who are already closer to where they need to be. Uh, in terms of the U.S., I mean, if you look at surveys done by Yale, um, they have these really interesting surveys. They've been doing them for like six years at least now. Um, and if you look at them, you see that people want clean energy. Uh, people want to regulate carbon. And even using the words climate change, like this has been very politicized in the US, but even using the words climate change, something like, three quarters or 70% of people think that this is happening and 60 or 65% are worried about it. So there's enough people that get that this is happening and it's an issue, even if they don't get the full extent of how much of an emergency it is. Uh, and so I think there are definitely enough people to make the changes that we need to make. It's just a matter of reaching them, organizing them, and starting to come together to exercise our power. If it's in the place you work, uh, like that company or where you go to school, that institution, um, the community you live in, and then also you can get up to like the national, you know, mm. national levels of leadership. But this is kind of an every level we have to work together on it. And I think there are enough people that get it. We just need to come together and make it happen. So build and collaborate. Um, I think it might be interesting just to put a pin in that for a moment and just take advantage quickly of the amount of research and time that you've spent on climate change and, and understanding the situation. And I guess we'd all be really interested to know, you know, where, are, where do we stand, according to you and what you know, and what are our projections? Where are we heading? And if we take the right steps, how can we maybe alter that path? Yeah, so... We've warmed the world by one degree Celsius, a little more than that since the Industrial Revolution. We're on a path for three or four degrees Celsius, which would be completely catastrophic. Uh, I think it's the World Bank some years ago said that a four degree warmed world, like we, you basically, we can't guarantee that we'd be able to adapt to that. Um, and so we're on a very bad path to limit warming to two degrees. Uh, the UN has said we need to increase our efforts by three times 
and then to limit warming to the much better, but you know, still not great 1.5 degrees Celsius, we need to increase our efforts by five times. Um, you know, there's, there's pretty, there's a pretty good chance 1.5 degrees is out of the picture right now. Uh, which is a tragic, tragic thing to say. I mean, the, the island nations, their slogan has been 1.5 to stay alive. But I mean, the bottom line is we need to move as quickly as possible and prevent as much warming as possible because that's going to limit the destruction um, and the challenges we will face. Um, another key thing I think is just the IPCC report from 2018. Uh, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was they said that we need rapid and far reaching transitions in every aspect of our, of society that are, and these transitions are just unprecedented in terms of scale. So we're in a big hole, but at the same time we have all those solutions we need. And again, I'd encourage people to go check out Project Drawdown. Um, so we have these solutions and they're ready, they're economical. What we're missing is the power to implement them. And there's this, there's this great, great quote by Bill McKibben I wanna share. Uh, and he says, the possibility of swift, swift change lies in people coming together in movements large enough to shift the zeitgeist. So it's all about movements and this people power. Um, so I, I would just encourage, I, the key thing to keep in mind, I think, is there's this vast difference between the best and the worst case scenarios. And as far as we know, we're still largely in control of where we end up on that spectrum. And although the effects of global warming are far worse than most anyone expects, we also have the capacity to rebuild a better society much faster than anyone thinks is possible right now. Uh, and it's just because we think linearly as humans, but these climatic and social processes actually move exponentially. And so I just think those are some important things to keep in mind when things look this dire. I think that's, that's actually so interesting, you know, that we, as humans, we think linearly, but the problems are exponential. So it's just beyond that sort of innate reasoning, and that's why it's so deadly. Uh, you were touching a little bit on solutions there. And I just saw this question which says, what do you think of David Wallace, um, the uninhabitable earth, and particularly his ideas about the tech solutions to climate breakdown? So I just thought you were touching on solutions. I thought that was an interesting question to throw in. Yeah, so I can answer part of that. Um, I read half of his book, and I think it was really well written. I think he's great. I do that a lot with books. <laughs> um, and it was also, I mean, there's just so much that's hard to swallow. Um, I, I've been meaning to go back to it. but in So I don't know specifically what tech solutions he was talking about. Or I think that was probably in the second half of the book, but just in general, the I'll talk about tech solutions like wind and solar. Those are cheaper, the cheapest form of electricity in two thirds coming in, coming up on three quarters of the world right now. Uh, we need to accelerate the deployment of those already. Um, battery storage is really taken off. The costs are plummeting along those mm. same paths we saw as, as solar and wind. Um, and you got some other technologies that don't get nearly enough attention, like heat pumps, 
transforming our heating to electricity because basically we have to electrify everything. That's how we're mm. going to get to a zero carbon economy. Um, another one's like refrigerants. Like if you go, if you, again, if you look at Project Drawdown, there are these very powerful greenhouse gases, not CO2, not methane, that are like thousands of times more powerful and they're in refrigerants. So like our air conditioners, our refrigerators, what have you. And that's something no one ever thinks about. Like that's another technology that needs to be worked on and deployed at scale. And then the other, the other side of the technology that I would think about or how I think of it is you got the technology to reduce emissions and then you have the technologies to take emissions out of the atmosphere. And that second bucket is going to be very important. I think, I think you get more bang for your buck on natural solutions, like the most efficient mm. technology that we have of removing CO2 from the atmosphere are called plants <laughs> um, and, and soil. So I think we need to, you know, take care of the low hanging fruit first, but that doesn't mean we can't also invest in the, the machines that are starting to do this as well. It doesn't seem that those are economical yet, but we definitely need to invest in them because this, this is an all hands on deck. This is a moonshot kind of uh, operation we need to work on here. Absolutely. Um, developing that further on solutions. Uh, somebody is asking what you think about in-person in protests and movements versus social media's effect on sort of protesting the, the status quo concerning climate change. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, social media is great. Uh, keep doing it. But if it's ever going to cut into time of an in-person protest, I mean, go to the in-person protest. Um, those are so much more powerful. Uh, there's actually a lot of really encouraging research about them. I'll see if I can, what I can remember off the top of my head. Um, the best one, I think, is if you Google like the 3.5% rule. And there's some research by Erica Chenoweth. And she, I mean, her research was on non-violently like basically it was about regime change at the national right. level. And she was saying it takes only 3.5% of a population's sustained action and participation to nonviolently like take over that regime. But I've listened to her in podcasts since then. Right. She's like, I believe this principle holds for smaller scale efforts as well. And so you can see this in companies too, like Amazon, like one per 1% of employees came together and started demanding they act on climate and they're still nowhere near where they need to be but they totally accelerated the climate action within that organization and that was just one percent of employees um getting back to more of the, the protest aspect of this i personally think that's one of if not the most powerful thing people can do as long as you're peaceful about it mm. um and there's a couple more studies out of like Stanford and Harvard that are something along the lines of, uh, oh, I'm not going to remember it, but I could, I could follow up with folks if they're interested because I've written about it before, but it's basically the more protesters there are, it actually swings votes in an election. Um, and 
there's one other thing I'm blanking, but I'm more than happy to follow up with that stuff. Protesting is incredibly powerful. I mean, it's everything you're saying is just so insightful. Like it's so clear that you, you base your judgments off a, of a place of research. And I think to me, it's like mixed in with common sense as well. And I just, it's surprising how like that's so lacking in so many things. I think that's, that's really, really great. I guess further then on solutions and all the research you've been doing, Outline for us, what are the big things then globally as opposed to on the, on the individual sort of few versus the many? What needs to happen on a bigger scale for things to change? Yeah, so I'm not, I, have, I have a short list. Um, this is definitely not comprehensive. I'm sure there's a lot of other things you could add to this. But just generally speaking, I think these are, would be very powerful. Um, ending fossil fuel subsidies and putting a high price on greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, fossil fuel subsidies right now, something like 500 billion direct subsidies globally. And the IMF has said that if you look at the indirect um, subsidy, which you know is like social costs, like healthcare and other things like that, they're putting the price for society, the price of these subsidies at like $5 trillion which is insane. We're subsidizing the thing that is destroying us. <laughs> um, so that'd be a big one. A another one is to get money out of politics and start to really fix democracy because we need a government that serves the people and not corporations and the fossil fuel millionaires. Um, that's definitely a problem in the US. I'm sure it's a problem in other places to varying degrees. Uh, another big one is to invest heavily in carbon sequestration and other sustainable technologies research, um, which I mentioned briefly a moment ago. We really need to figure out how to remove carbon from the atmosphere at scale. We're already past what has been deemed the safe amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. We're at like 415 parts per million right now, and the safe amount is 350 which we haven't seen since before I was born. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and then also investing and deploying the solutions we have today. So invest in these future better technologies, but also we have what we need right now. So get those out into the world. They're ready, they exist, they're economical. Um, this natural one, I think, doesn't get nearly enough attention, and that's to start reforesting instead of deforesting moving to regenerative agriculture instead mm -hmm. of, you know, degenerative agriculture, just this industrial thing we got going on. Um, if we do that, it would also make our food healthier. It makes the soil work for us uh, and a whole host of different things. Um, and just that general theme of strengthening and working with nature rather than destroying it and destroying biodiversity and, really the web of life upon which we depend for everything, whether we realize it or not. Um, so those, those are really the big ones. And then the last one is just really getting back to the, the thing I've been talking about all along is getting more people to step up. Yes. Like this isn't an issue of being right in an argument. It's not a scientific problem. It's not a technological problem. It's a problem of power. 
and to overcome this entrenched power and the status quo and these forces trying to keep things as they are so that I can keep making money. To overcome that, you need, like that Bill McKibben quote, you need a lot of people working Mm -hmm. at every level to start making those changes piece by piece. Yeah, incredible. I think um, on what you're saying as well, uh, someone's posed a really interesting point, which I think directly relates to when you're discussing the, the, the kind of the big players in the societal scheme of things. And the question is, should central banks play an active role in climate change? I haven't thought about that a ton. I would say yes. <laughs> I mean... The money, getting the money flowing in the right direction is hugely important given the system we have right now. Um, and I think banks are starting to wake up to this. I mean, I know I saw like in 2019, early 2019, that 34 central banks came together and were basically like, we need to start integrating these climate, um, this climate information and decisions and data into where our money's going because if we don't start accounting for this and the impacts of climate change and the transformation that needs to happen in the economy if we don't account for this in our decision making there could be a massive uh, collapse in asset prices and if people are interested in this you can Mm. look it up they're basically worried about what some are calling a carbon bubble um but I mean, even if they're just selfishly trying to make more money, the fossil fuel industry is a dying industry. Like we're going to have this massive transformation in society and the future of the economy is going to be sustainable. So like, yes, central banks should like morally do the right thing or whatever, but they also have all the financial incentive in the world to start putting their money into mm. the projects and companies that are going to be the most successful going forward. So Ryan, I guess I want to ask, do you think we're going to do it? Do you (laughs) think we're going to make a big enough of a change in your opinion? I don't think it's that black and white. I think we are going to get our act together. It's just a matter of how quickly do we do it and how much, suffering do we mitigate by acting quickly and i mean even if you were just to follow like the financial trends of this like i said like renewables are cheaper right now than fossil fuels that's a very good trend Um, more people are getting involved like i think we're not going to get the absolute worst case scenario i don't think we're going to end up limiting it to 1.5 degrees Celsius, as much as it pains me to say that, I think we'll end up somewhere in the middle and I'm hoping it's two degrees or less. Um, But it really all comes down to when are people going to, when are enough people going to step up and start taking the actions necessary, as uncomfortable as they may be, um, to start making this happen faster. And with the research you've been doing and the stuff you see, um, I, I understand clearly what you're saying that, you know, we will wake up. It's just a matter of when this, this matter of when is obviously going to have huge implications on not only human welfare, but as you were saying, we are not separate 
from Mother Earth. We are part of the of the cycle. We just kind of mechanized the mm-hmm. the, the the ecosystem in many ways. What are the adverse effects on a big scale and a small scale that we're going to see? I mean, we're already seeing it, albeit slowly. Um, you've got the obvious sea level rise. Uh, the the maps of the world will be redrawn by the end of the century. Um, that's one of the most irreversible ones just because you can't stop ice uh, from melting. Um, desertification, that's happening more and more. I mean, the basic, to, to take a step back, it's, it's basically, you know, you got the floods, droughts, more intense storms, more extreme weather in both ways, like, more like drier places are going to get drier wetter places are going to get wetter and what this basically all means wildfires you name it what this basically all means is the the building blocks of society like food water a safe place to live um people's livelihoods like their jobs they're going to get harder to do as and there's going to be less of some of those as this crisis accelerates I would want to also say, though, like this is a lot of doom and gloom, but I think one of the the biggest things that we can also do is, you know, talk about this issue more. But it's really, really important. And I've been working on this. I think everyone needs to to work on this as well. It's just imagining the future that we do want. Like, making these changes makes everything so much better, like clean air, clean water. I, I imagine like cities that are quieter and more like people biking around, um, healthier food. Like if you start imagining what these changes will bring, um, it gives everyone and yourself something to move towards, to fight for. And it's not just like, this is bad, we have to stop this. I think there's some psychological thing in our ancient brains where like, like just being against something isn't good enough to sustain momentum. You have to be moving towards something. Like what is that thing you're, you're working towards? And that itself is very powerful. Well, that's incredible. I think you're exactly right. Um, yeah, I mean, that was just incredible information. I mean, I'm completely blown away. Obviously, everyone here know, knows a lot of the facts, but you, you bring in such a fresh angle. You've obviously done your research, and I'm just, thank you so much. That was really just such a wonderful interview. Anyone who has not subscribed, definitely know exactly what to do to reshape uh, this better future. I guess I want to close, Ryan, just by asking, you know, it, it's, as we said already, it's kind of common sense, right? It's like, I want clean air, I want better food, I want to feel better, I want the world around me to just be more lovely. Why is it so difficult for us to, to not want that more? Or would you say that people do want it, it's just, it's back down to your argument that, you know, we don't have enough of an impetus to make that happen? I mean, I think... There's a couple things. I don't think the vision has been spelled out as well as it could be. Um, And like, that's on all of us. I myself still need to be like, okay, what else am I working towards? I've got a whole like Google doc. I've actually crowdsourced 
this document, which is kind of cool. Um, and I did a very bad job of articulating all the different things that people want to see and make happen. But I think that's part of it. I think the Green New Deal, um, I don't know as much about the European version, but just that framework is very powerful because it goes from talking about climate as the sacrifice and this cost to this thing that's going to give people jobs and make our lives better. Like that's key to these changes. Um, the other part of your question there, I think is for a really long time. And it's very, it's very easy to feel this way, but just like powerless, uh, this is a massive problem. There's so much that needs to be done. It feels like the corporations and the government aren't moving in the right direction or actively moving in the wrong direction. They just don't really care. Um, but I think this is a moment where we need to recognize and discover and exercise our power as individuals uh, and start working together, collaborating with others, organizing. And when you do those things, you actually can influence those much bigger power structures. And like, it's one of those, it's, it feels very impossible until you make it happen. And we're starting to see more and more examples of places around the world where we are making inroads, we are starting to move the needle. And we just need to keep that going and building that power, building these organizations and that momentum. And we'll, we'll get to where we need to go. Right. I mean, Thank you so much. In fact, we just had a comment come in. Ryan, thank you. Keep inspiring and informing. The rusty hinge of history is opening. Couldn't agree more. Everyone, please subscribe to Ryan's uh, newsletter. I know I myself will be doing so immediately, and I should have done so already. Guys, thank you so much for a wonderful November edition of TEDx Archivorum. We will be back in December with the same sort of things and new exciting speakers. And I believe, Ryan, you will be a returning guest. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you all in December. So that is the end of our show. Thanks so much for tuning in and joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, you may also appreciate signing up for the crowdsourcing sustainability newsletter that I write. Signing up for the newsletter will give you access to our growing crowdsourcing sustainability Slack community, where people from around the world are connecting on our shared mission of helping to reverse global warming as soon as possible. Uh, there are really so many incredible people in this community, so if you're interested, definitely check that out. Uh, there's a link to sign up for that newsletter in the show notes, along with other links we referred to today. And for those of you who are able and would feel good about supporting this work, please do consider donating to Crowdsourcing Sustainability. We're a startup nonprofit, and your donation would go a really long way to not only sustaining our work, but helping grow its impact. You could also help out by giving us a review or sharing this with your friends to help us grow this community and empower more and more people with this information. Uh, we really would appreciate any and all support. And either way, thank you again for listening and for everything you're doing on climate action, even if that's just learning and talking about it right now. That that helps. That goes a long way. It's a great place to start. Uh, so, yeah, just know I appreciate you. Our team appreciates you. And, yeah, I think that's all we've got for you today. 
So thank you again. Take care. And we'll talk to you soon.